The nail in the coffin! Welcome back to The Nail in the Coffin. I am Tom Valentino. He is Travis Yuley. We are uh, doing a first for us here, recording on a Friday afternoon. Travis, it's been a uh, long time since we've been on here. I think we kind of had an agreement that, uh, you know, with until something really notable in the sports world happens, there wasn't really a big sense of urgency for us to uh, record a podcast. But, uh, you know, it's been about a month. Figured, uh, I don't know. Make sure the microphone still works. See what's going on. How are you? Doing good, buddy. Doing good. Um, yeah, it's uh, just not a ton to talk about. We've been obviously. I, I'm an avid sports radio fan during the week, and I, I've noticed that they don't have anything to talk about. They're forcing like the most random topics ever. So I'm like, okay, I'm not going to do that. But um, I gotta say, I'm not. I'm still. We just. You just told me this before we came on here. I'm not 100% sure I buy that we've never recorded on a Friday, but I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt as like the the official historian of the Nail in the Coffin podcast. I'm going to have to defer to you. It just, it doesn't sound right to me. I'll check with our research staff after we wrap up here and yeah, I'll, get, those, I'll get back get to you and confirm. Get the nerds in the back in the office on the analytics we, side to check this out. That's why we pay them the big bucks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I mean, there's there's not been a whole lot happening in the uh, the, the pro sports world, the college sports world. I, I think we're slowly inching back towards having some games. Uh, from what I've been seeing, I think the NBA uh, seems like they've got a, a rough idea. There have been a lot of proposals thrown around. More and more that we hear sounds like uh, if and when the NBA season resumes, there's a good chance the Cavs will not be involved because they might try to limit the number of teams participating. Uh, probably just as pressing baseball needs to get its season off the ground. Although with all the uh, sniping back and forth between the players and the owners uh, starting to seem like that season might be uh, getting put into peril. I don't, don't know. I'm a little nervous about that. If you're uh, hoping to have baseball of any kind this summer. Um, hopefully yeah, no, for sure. It's, it's, it's weird. Cause we kind of heard that it, it seems like the minor league season is all but canceled at this point. Like, which will make the end of the the major league season interesting, obviously with, you know, if there's going to be any time for call-ups or anything like that. But um, yeah, it's sort of weird because I don't know. It seems like everyone else kind of grasps the situation that we're in, except for just about everyone in baseball, players, owners, all of it. It seems like none of them really, at least the ones that are talking. Like, I can't remember who was the guy the other day. The one uh, I think it was maybe Snell. Um, Blake Snell, the guy for the Rays. Right. Um, is that his name? Is that right? Blake? Yeah. Did I get that right? Okay. Yeah. So he said, like, in, 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 uh, and the point he was making, I think, wasn't wasn't necessarily wrong. But his language was, was kind of like, you know, I got to get mine and screw everybody else. Which, not the message people want to hear. Um then we saw the proposal that the owners rolled out this week with like um, clearly that's geared towards like pitting the superstars with big contracts against the other guys, um, which is 
I don't know. It's probably management versus union dirty tricks 101, right? That's that's always how it sort of goes. So I don't know. It seems like they just don't have a plan at all. We've seen a plan for hockey. I think NBA, it seems like they're generally moving in the right direction, but um, these yeah, guys baseball, don't seem to have any idea what they want to do. Baseball just feels like it's a sport that's had a lot of long simmering issues and current events are just exacerbating a lot of that be, and bringing yeah. a lot of things to the forefront. So um, I'll be honest, I'm not following it super closely, which, you know, given my love of sports and the lack of uh, sports to really be following closely right now, I, I'm a little surprised to myself that I'm not, but I don't know. It's like, go sort that stuff out. And when you guys are ready to, to get things rolling, let me know. And I'll, I'll be there with my remote control and I'll, crack open a shandy and look forward to watching some baseball, I guess. But, uh, you know, in the meantime here, you know, we're just trying to get by with uh, what we got going on. There's been a lot of uh, greatest games ever being uh, shown to air, uh, uh, you know, fill up airtime. Uh, I was watching a little bit of the uh, Ohio State-Miami game last night. Um, I know it's uh, also kind of gotten me to thinking about uh, some of the uh, – uh, lesser uh, famous moments and some of the more infamous moments and just some of the lighter ends of the uh, the spectrum, so to speak. Um, and you know, just some experiences I've had and, and memories that I've had come up in the last week or so. Uh, felt like this would be a good time to just kind of break out some old stories, not necessarily time sensitive, but uh, yeah, um, I, I know you had some different things that you wanted to uh, put out there as well. Uh, where do you want to get started? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll briefly mention just sort of the world that we're living in now. You mentioned the um, Miami game, Miami-Ohio State game that was on last night. Um, I knew it was going to be on, and I didn't have any um, – I didn't have any intention of watching it. Like, I watched it. I actually watched it. I think it was on Fox Sports or one of those channels maybe four or five, six weeks ago, right? And I watched it when it was on then, sort of in the background, and it was fine. And so I went to bed kind of early last night and I checked Twitter as I'm in bed and I see people like tweeting about it. And I'm like, ah, I'll we'll see what's going on. I laid in bed for three hours watching this game on my phone. Um, and I, I still don't know why, like for the life of me, I can't, I can't explain why I did this. Um, but it's, it's, I remember vividly watching this game where I was, um, everything that went along with it there's still a lot of things from this game that I don't remember. And I've watched this game I don't, 20, 30 times probably since then. I've watched it many, many times. And there's still things that I noticed last night that I never noticed the first couple times I watched the game. Such and as. so, uh, well, one was there's a point in the game where um, they miss a kick, where Nugent misses a kick. I think it was Nugent. I'm pretty sure it was Mike Nugent. Mike Nugent misses a kick. And the first guy that walks over to him to like say, hey, it's all right, no worries, uh, we got you, is Maurice Claret. And it jumped out to me like this guy, he like if you watch the way that he played, obviously the play he's remembered for in that game and probably not remembered enough for how big of a play this was, but is the strip from Sean Taylor right after the interception in the end zone. Most people remember that very, very well, and that's that's been talked about pretty, pretty extensively. Um, but I, I don't know that we realize as much of a bonehead as he was off the field, he seemed like a pretty damn 
grown-up, mature player on the field. And I don't know. It's it seems like he's gotten his life together and and he's he's you know a good member of society and all that stuff. So good for him on that front. It's it's just it's always one of those. Damn, what what could have been from this guy? Um, I also don't remember. There's a point late in the game where um, Mike Doss reads this route perfectly, and if his hand gets up just a fraction of a second earlier, he picks it off, it's a pick six, and the game is over. Um, And I don't remember watching that play live and thinking like, oh, that would have been the game. How did he not catch that? But last night I was like, how did he not catch that? Um, I also, every time I watch this game, though, it also reminds me how offensively boring those teams were. Um, Craig Krenzel was the leading rusher in that game. Uh, Willis McGahee averaged like two yards a carry. Maurice Claret wasn't much better. Um, he might have been worse, actually. I don't remember. To but, be fair, like, to, just to, I have to say, to be fair, now, obviously, this was before, you know, Urban Meyer and Ryan Day and some of the, um, you know, wide open offenses that we've seen from Ohio State in recent years. So maybe Ohio State was a little bit more buttoned up, but. You know, in terms of like, you know, lack of offense there, that, I mean, those were two incredible defenses that were playing on that field. Oh, oh, no question. And you start to hear the names. Um, there was like a ton of NFL talent on that team, um, on both teams. I think people always, people always focus on how good Miami was because it was such an upset. Miami was so good coming in, but Ohio State didn't get lucky that day. That wasn't like a fluke. They were a really, really talented team, um, really well coached, had a bunch of studs, and you know they just they played their asses off that day. It was kind of interesting to hear some of the former players. Um, they had a thing with like Mike Doss and C. Grant, Michael Jenkins, and I think Dustin Fox were the four guys that they were talking to, and they they were all like, yeah, we had, they, they listed off the coaches that they had, like the defensive coaches they had, and the names were pretty impressive, but they're like, yeah, we knew what plays were coming. Like we, we spent 45 days watching this tape and we watched every game and between Doss and Wilhelm, those guys just knew exactly what Miami was going to do every time. So it's like, I don't know that back then I was, I mean, I was 18 years old. So not like, super in tune with like the X's and O's of, of football. And I'm not even super in tune with them now, but um, the way that they showed up and the way that they prepared for that game is, is, is pretty impressive. And I'm, I'm still continuously amazed by how Chris Gamble never seemed to get tired. Um, <laughs> I, that's another guy. Like, I don't, I don't think anyone remembers how freakishly good he was. And like two ways playing on both sides, Oh, on both sides of the ball. At one point, they showed he had only sat, like, eight plays through, like, the first 50. Um, God. Just something insane, right? And he, was, he wasn't, he was like, an amazing receiver, but he was a, a decent one. He was okay. Um, and he was an incredible cornerback who was, who was tasked the entire game with covering Andre Johnson, probably the best receiver in the, in the country at the time. So it's like yeah. watching these things, it's like, man, I, as you saw those guys, you know, 15, 20 years later um, – it's like, yeah, okay, they were really that good. We weren't just, like, getting sucked into it. Right, yeah. No, I think, you know, Miami obviously had the reputation coming into that game for their huge winning streak and all that. 
Um, but if you just look at the, you know, the NFL careers that a lot of those Ohio State guys had afterwards, uh, I, I think they age very well. And I, I think it's certainly enhanced, you know, or it's changed the way that maybe we look at that team and in, in retrospect, um, you know, you Chris Gamble, um, I'm trying to think, like a lot of those guys from Ohio, Michael Jenkins, um, you know, uh, a lot of the uh, the defensive backfield the offensive, from Ohio State. The offensive line was loaded, and those guys right. all went on to play. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you Nick know, Mangold was was a freshman. He was a freshman. Off the bench. I was yeah. just going to say he was. And he was a freshman, but he got some time in that game. Um, Nugent obviously lasted forever. And Gamble um, signed a couple huge. Contracts. I don't know because he was in Carolina. Maybe we never really noticed how much he was doing. But um, Mike Doss, uh, Nate Sally, Nate, no, not Nate Sally. Um, oh, I can picture the damn guy. Twenty seconds. Will Allen. Will Allen right. was damn good. He was the one that had the pick against Michigan. Like those guys all had long, good NFL careers. Yeah. It's like, yeah, they might not have been all pros, but you got to be really damn good to make it four, five, six years in the NFL. Like, exactly. If you're if you're only okay, you're gone after two or three years. And all of these guys lasted quite a while. It's like we 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 don't really I don't know. At the time they were great and we loved them all, but it's like looking back, they've aged. You're right. They've aged really well. Yeah. Um. All right. So what uh, what other stories have been on your mind as of late that you wanted to uh, put out there? So I finished um the other day and. I honestly don't know if this is even lines up with reality. Um, if the date that everyone says this happened was the date that it actually happened. I just saw it on like, um, and, and, I, and now that I think about it, there's no way that this actually happened on the date that everyone says, because I'm pretty sure it was in like late August, early September when the Indians won like the 22nd game of that streak. Yes. It was definitely very late in the season, right? Yeah. I'm trying to find it right now. I can't, I can't see when, when it happened, but um, it was into August because Jay Bruce, I think, had the the game yeah. winning hit yeah, in the twenty second yeah, 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 game, yeah. and he was an August acquisition. Yeah, so I'm not sure why this was popping up on Twitter recently. Then oh, STL um, was reshowing all the games from the street. Oh, okay, okay, maybe they were re-airing it. Okay, I missed yeah, it. and it, and it started to pop in my head. Like, I don't know if I realized it at the time, um, but I was I was at that game live. My wife and I went. She told me on like like three or four days before she's like, Hey, we should go to this game. They might be able to like break a streak. And if, if, even if they can't, well, we can still go to an Indians game. It's like, okay. So we don't go like, and in hindsight, like that's up there with one of the best all time live sporting events that I've ever been to. Um, we were in the bleachers, probably 15 rows up. And th- my, my least favorite thing about it was that when Lindor got the double to tie the game, I couldn't actually see it because it was at that wall and I didn't really know what was happening. So I was relying on everyone else around me to sort of relay to me what had happened, Um, you know, just by following the cheers of everyone that could see it. And as I saw him like rounding going to second, I'm like, okay, something's good. Something good has to be happening here. Um, But it's like, as far as like regular season games go for any sport, I think you'd be hard pressed um, at least for professional sports, you'd be hard pressed to find any game that had that type of excitement around it. Um, 
and, and and every once in a while I'll be sitting around and it'll be airing on TV somewhere or or whatever it is. We're at a bar and I'll, I'll mention my wife is like, oh hey, that was that game we went, and she still remembers it pretty well. She's not like she doesn't have the random like sort of vivid sports memory that I have, but um, that's one of our common things that she gives me shit because I relate everything to specific sporting events that happened around the same time. Um, but this one she remembers, like she remembers going to, I remember like all of that stuff. And it's, it's sort of unique in that respect. Cause I don't have many regular season games that are like that. Yeah. That I really, that I really vividly remember and being like really excited during. Well, I have two. Um, the first one I will tell you uh, was a Cavs yeah, game. It, it have, okay. Okay. Go ahead. It was, um, uh, in 2011, uh, Cleveland team was on a different kind of streak. The Cavs were on their franchise worst losing streak. And it was a random Friday. The Clippers were in town. They had, this was a team that had Blake Griffin, Baron Davis. Um, they were good. And um, I just, in the middle of that day, like that afternoon, I said, you know what? I got a good feeling streak's going to end tonight. Cavs are going to win a game. I want to go see it. I want to be there. And I went on eBay and I bought a pair of tickets for like $15 total or something. This is not really surprising, but the Cavs were not a real hot ticket after losing, I think, 26 games in a row. And uh, went down there and sure enough, it was me and our buddy John, we went down there and um, things I remember from that game, it felt like a playoff atmosphere when the Cavs actually were like, you know, in it and had a real chance to win. The game went to overtime. Um, Baron Davis got ejected, which was interesting just because about two weeks after this, he was traded to the Cavs. Um, and that was the deal that ended up getting the Cavs the pick that turned into Kyrie Irving. Um, but in this game, he was still with the Clippers. He got thrown out, and in overtime of that game, J.J. Hickson completely outplayed Blake Griffin. And um, I think that was even the game where uh, Austin Carr uh, – no, that was another one. I'm a, I'll, I'll, that's a story for another day. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, there was one game where, like, Austin Carr got too excited, and he said, like, yeah, he's lighting his ass up. Uh, <laughs> which, <laughs> Love a little, Austin uh, passion. A little bit much, AC. <laughs> God bless him, though. I love it. But, uh, yeah, that was uh, probably my greatest impulse buy ever was uh, getting tickets the day of that game and, and seeing the Cavs and that streak. Um, the, uh, the other one, if you mentioned, like, going to an Indians game, and I was thinking a lot about this, uh, this game here um, quite a bit this week. Um, we lost my grandpa uh, a couple weeks ago. He uh, was 93. He, uh, he had cancer, and uh, it was his time. So um, we, uh, earlier this week, we uh, we had funeral services for him, and everybody in my family, we were telling some stories, um, just memories of him. And for me, the the one that uh, came to mind immediately was a game uh, we went to August of 2001. Uh, it was an Indians game. It was Sunday night baseball against the Mariners. Um a lot of people will remember this as the greatest uh, comeback, I think, in Major League Baseball history, or at least tied it. It was a 12-run comeback. And, you know, we went down there, and the Indians were getting hammered early. And we kind of agreed. We both said, all right, you know, Sunday night, we got nowhere to be. 
let's just hang around here and see what happens. We'll stay till 11 o'clock. You know, it'll be three hours. That's enough. Well, the Indians start chipping away a little bit, kind of make it interesting. And don't forget, this is the year that the Mariners set, I think, an American League record for wins or, you know, 110 games or something like that. Yeah, like an all-time great team. Mm-hmm. So um, we get to the bottom of the eighth inning. The Indians get to within five runs, and the inning ends with Kenny Lofton getting thrown out at home trying to score. So, at the, and that happened right at 11 o'clock. And we said, all right, any chance they had of pulling off a miracle, that probably snuffed it out. This is the time we were going to leave anyway. What do you say? All right, yeah, I'm good with calling it a night. So we walk back to the car, and we get to the car and turn on the radio and start listening to the bottom of the ninth inning just in time to hear the Indians put up five runs in the bottom of the ninth against that season was the greatest closer <laughs> in baseball. But we're like, you have got to be kidding me. Um, and we got back to his house uh, in the little sitting room in the back of the house. We watched the extra innings on TV as the Indians completed the greatest comeback of all time. And I only found out the next day that friends of ours were at that game and they stayed for the whole thing. So it's become a running joke among our friends ever since then. Um, anytime a Cleveland team falls behind huge in a game, I, I still to this day, it's been almost 20 years, I still get text messages from friends. Oh, you better not leave early, even when I'm not even at the game. Um, I'm never <laughs> going to live that one down. But uh, yeah, that's... And I've never been able to get away from it either. Like about 10 years after that, I was in an Indians game and it was commemorative mug night and I had no clue what they were commemorating. I'm like, oh, cool. I'll get a commemorative mug of some time. I walk in, I get the the mug, the mug all boxed up and everything. And I look at the box. Yeah. It was the 10 year anniversary of the greatest comeback ever. I'm like, God damn it. I can't, <laughs> can't run away from this if I try. Uh, so, yeah. It was uh, that's, fun that's looking your, back hey, on that's, that. That's your calling card now. That's you. That's right. For you better or worse. To, uh, you don't need to, yeah, you don't need to run away from it. Embrace it. <laughs> I don't have a choice. Exactly. I'm kidding. Um, it's funny you mentioned that because I, that's one of those games I can kind of remember watching on TV and similar to what we just mentioned. Like, I don't really remember thinking it was all that big of a deal. I remember like, and and maybe it's just, I don't know, because I was younger and didn't have, you know, proper context on a lot of things like that. And, and in hindsight, let's be honest, it's not really that big of a deal, right? It's, it's one regular season game and they won and, and okay, great. But it doesn't in the grand scheme it doesn't doesn't mean a whole lot um but i remember like not really be i remember being excited that they came back and won but it wasn't like wow this is something that i'll talk about 20 years later like it kind of has become for a lot of people right yeah i think that's been one of those games that's gotten replayed a few times in the last couple of months just uh you know they're they're dusting off all the classics but uh, yeah, that that one that's that stuck with me quite a bit. Just c- kind of uh, probably because of deciding to leave in the eighth inning. But yeah, what are you gonna do? You know, it's funny you mentioned like people they've been dusting off all these classic games, right? And they've been showing they've been showing these games that were like all time legendary games. And I I don't remember who said this. I saw someone suggest it the other day. It's like, wouldn't the better idea be to just show games that were like benign, unmemorable? random games in the middle of the season so no one knows what happens yes and i'll tell you i would probably spend at least 30 minutes after i turned on a game like that trying to figure out why they pick that game just like how'd you come up with this one like what what was the hook here 
Because um, normally, you can't you the reason just be we don't think you'll remember it. We want it to be. <laughs> we want it to feel new again. Yeah, yeah, that uh, that'd be good. Um, but like, uh, I don't know. The Browns versus I don't know the Titans from two thousand five. <laughs> sure, go ahead, throw it on. Let's see. Let's go. Yeah, I'm a little surprised. I mean, although not... if, it's, if it's Browns, it's it's unlikely to be very entertaining, but. There was a Browns Titans game. Jeez, what year would that have been? Maybe like twenty. I just pulled two random teams. You know, I know, you but to, like there, you don't there... need to go to your encyclopedic knowledge. Of... <laughs> no, there was a. What was it? The year with uh, Hoyer at quarterback? I think was it fourteen. I think that was the year that the Browns like played a game in Tennessee and had like the greatest uh, uh, road comeback in oh, NFL yeah. history. Yeah, yeah, I do remember that actually. Yeah, yeah, they came back. I think they won like. 29 28 or something like that right it came back or came down came back from 28 something crazy i do remember that vaguely um it was very early in the season too wasn't it like game I think two so. or three i think yeah it might have been yeah that sounds right um but yeah it's it's weird i've we've had this discussion and a lot of times when i'm really bored at home i'll just pull up old like random things from various sporting events that I remember and relive those again. Um, Part of the inspiration for this was the anniversary of the classic Lee Elio rant, which you and I (laughs) reference constantly as I think inarguably the greatest rant that we've ever seen from a a coach or manager in my experience. Um, Even though we put the, we, we, we allow um, we allow the explicit language badge on here. It still has language that's a little too salty for this podcast, <laughs> um, but legendary in every 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 sense of the word. Um, so I'm going to throw a question to you. I'll give you mine. Um, what's outside of the Lee Elliott one because it's obviously all time number one. Um, your think of your favorite rant from any manager, coach, whoever, even a player, if you want. Personally, I think mine, because I think it's the most quotable, especially um, as we get up in years, is the Mike Gundy rant from a few years ago. <laughs> the I'm a man, I'm 40. Um, because I'll be honest, I can't remember shit else about what he was saying. I don't remember who the player was that he was defending. Um, I don't remember anything else about it. All anyone remembers is I'm a man, I'm 40. And people still say that all the time. Like that is you, still that a was, common refrain. That was a fantastic recruiting tool for him. Cause like, if I'm a player, I'm like, that coach has got my back. You just said it. You don't even know who the player was anymore or who was in question over that. What you remember is that coach taking the heat and, and completely flipping the script. That was brilliant. Um, and it was hilarious. And it's his legend has only been enhanced with the uh, spectacular mullet that he has grown out in the last couple of years. Oh my since. goodness, that mullet is fantastic! <laughs> He's a and character. the thing, like he is, and I mean, it hasn't necessarily translated to much success. Like he's been pretty good. He's, they're a, he's, they're he's, a B team. Yeah, there he gets he gets B programs to to B plus results, and that's pretty much it. That's what he does. So yeah. Um, Good for him on that front. I mean, whatever. That's that's not really relevant. He gets paid quite handsomely to be, you know, above average at his job, which we should all be so lucky. Um, but that whole thing, like, if it, 
I feel like if you were to go up to someone who's 40 years old right now and ask them, how old are you? A majority of those men would say, <laughs> I'm 40. They would realize, I just said I'm 40, and they'd be like, I'm a man, I'm 40. Like, that is all time, like, one of the most ridiculously quotable lines, and, and the context doesn't matter at all. Like, you can, for everything else, for all the other ones, like, we're talking about the playoffs and practice from Allen Iris and all those, like, you remember the context and you remember what they were talking about. In this case, you're just like, I don't know. I think he was just saying not to be like mean to his players, but I don't remember which one. I don't remember why. Um, I don't really remember anything else except I'm a man. I'm 40. And now he's, yeah, that goofy guy with the mullet. On the and that quote, I think has taken on a life of its own to the point where I bet there's a lot of people who would quote that and not even fully. Oh, couldn't even tell you who Mike Gundy is. No, yeah, they don't even know the context of where that started. They just have heard it so many times, and it just sounds so, so hilarious and absurd that, yeah, I'm a man, I'm 40, come after yeah. me. And every, everyone's heard it. Most people don't don't really know why. Um, and, yeah, it's it's just I'm, – I'm sure it's not what he intended when he did it, but it became like that's going to be Mike Gundy's lasting legacy. No question. So I'm going to go off script here with – a rant that has always stuck with me personally. Um, It was when my dad was coaching a traveling basketball team when I was in like sixth grade. Oh, oh, great. This is going to be gold. (laughs) So we were playing, I want to say, in a tournament out in Newberry, and I can't remember where the team was that we were playing against. Cleveland Heights, maybe? Um. They were good. Whoever it was that we played, they were good. They were bigger than us. They were more athletic than us. Um, they were they, they were better they were than good. us. We they were, not. We had a team. I mean, we had some decent guys. I mean, I was a bench player. I, I but you know, of, of our starters, I mean, we had a few guys who were decent, but they were not at that level. But the one thing that I will say about that group, and and even the guys that I wasn't best friends with growing up, they were tough. And they were not going to get pushed around. And I think there were quite a few of them that had the attitude, we might not win the game, but we're going to win the fight. And this game started getting kind of chippy. And at a certain right, point... I have to ask, I have to ask, and this won't be relevant to most of our listeners. Who are these people? Name some names. I need to know these. I'm sure I know them. I want to know who you're referencing. Most uh, people will not know who these kids are, but... No, nah, I'll, I'll tell you, you, know, I'll tell you about it after. I'll tell you about it after. But, you know, because, like, I don't remember who was involved in this specific play. One one of our players, I think, got fouled kind of hard and got up and, you know, pushed back and a little skirmish broke out and the referees, you know, come in, whistles blowing, trying to, uh, you know, break things up. And then they go to center court to, you know, powwow and, and start, uh, discussing how they want to officiate this, how, you know, who needs to get called for a foul and any technicals need to be assessed. How do we handle this? Well, as they do this, the clock's running and we're losing. So it's like, this is bad. So my dad's like, Hey, Hey guys, you got to stop the clock coach. You know, don't worry. We got this under control. You, you know, they're not even listening to what he's saying. Cause they think he's just like trying to tell them how just to like, bitching. Right. Right. No, no, coach. Guys, guys, you don't understand. While you're talking, 
the, the clock's right. Coach, sit down. So he, like, you know, steps back. Meanwhile, like, three minutes, four minutes, like, almost half the quarter is gone off the game clock while these guys are standing there chatting. And my dad's, like, over by our bench doing a slow burn. And he finally <laughs> just, like, boils I, over. I can picture and, this very vividly. Yeah, if you know my dad, you know exactly what this looks like. And he finally, like, stands up after a couple minutes and, like, takes two steps out of the court, you know, cups his hands to his mouth. Hey! You Girl Scouts want to have a campfire over there? Stop the goddamn clock! And at that point, <laughs> they all stop and they like look at him. That's it, coach. You're out of here. And they threw him out of the game and he had to go stand out for the rest of the game in the hallway. But what so, did they do about the time? They just let it go. They were completely oblivious to what had happened despite his best efforts. They didn't efforts. put time back. They just let like five minutes run off the clock. Right. Right. So... Um, it probably, if I'm being really honest, would not have made a difference anyway. Um, we were not going to make any sort of miraculous comeback. It was, it was a lost cause, but yeah, it, it, they did not put any time back on the clock. And, uh, sure enough, the game ended with, uh, an even bigger, uh, fight breaking out between the two teams. And my dad ran back into the gym to help break things up. And the officials were still yelling at him. Hey, we told you to leave. You can't be in here. So, uh. It was uh, not not a great night for anybody involved, but uh, yeah, well, you Girl Scouts, you, you Girl Scouts want to have a campfire? Stop the goddamn clock! That uh, that line has stuck with us for a long time ever since. Man, your dad is nothing if not quotable. <laughs> I will give him that. Yeah, yeah, for better or worse. <laughs> <laughs> it's not always a quote you want to hear, but no. <laughs> Oh man! Shout out, shout out to Mister Mister Tino if he's listening at home. Yeah, yeah, the chairman. He's one of a kind. Yes. Um, right around that same uh, time period, if we're if we're just talking about infamous uh, sports moments from our youth, another one that I was reminded of from this week. Um, yesterday, you know, it was my daughter's last day of school, and uh, shout out to the Riverside School District for you know with the current circumstances, you know. Kids have not been in the classroom now since mid-March. Um, just kind of holding yeah, it together. That's right. Go Beavers. Go Beavers. But, you know, a fantastic job by the district. Just kind of keeping things going, getting the kids, uh, you know, engaged with uh, Zoom meetings over these last couple months and, uh, you know, giving us things to uh, do at home. And uh, I've probably done more scavenger hunts in the last 10 weeks than I had probably done in my entire life before that. But uh, it's cool. But, uh, you know, yesterday, the, the last day of school, we had field day. And field day was always one of my favorites growing up. Were you a big field day guy when you were in school? Oh, yeah, I loved it. It, it was weird um, because in third, fourth, and fifth grade, you and I both did the same thing. We transferred schools after yes. second grade um, and went ahead. And the class I was in started when – I was, when I started this class in, in third grade, we only had five boys. And by the time I was in fifth grade, we only had three boys. So field day, not real competitive. Your boy was coming home with a lot of blue ribbons. <laughs> a lot of blue ribbons. Yeah, see, like when I was, I think like my last year at Haddon, they to probably deal with that kind of situation. They split up the school as to like half the school was considered the blue team and half the school was considered the gold team and just did like team scoring rather than individual events like what you're describing 
Um, we definitely had individual events. I, we might have yeah. also had team stuff. I don't. I don't remember that. But yeah. Well, the one that I was really remembering uh, this week, um, you know, the the last event that we did with my daughter yesterday was the foot race. So we had to run around the house. Now she's an only child. She had no one to run against. So I'm like, all right, I'm I'm putting on my Riverside shirt. I I'm calling her out. I'm challenging her. We're gonna do the the race around the house. You know, dad versus daughter. Um, and uh, the grass was a little bit wet as we were coming around the corner. So I was taking it kind of slow. Didn't want to wipe out. Um, which as I was rounding, uh, the, the last corner of the front of our house, heading back towards the driveway, it reminded me of sixth grade when I was at what was then known as Auburn middle school. Now it's LaBooth. It was not individual events. Then it was by homeroom. So I was in Mr. Miller's homeroom. Shout out Mr. Miller. Also my sixth grade math teacher, my favorite teacher of all time. Uh, great guy. I think he just retired last year. Um, yeah, lives right down the street from me. Ah, there you go. Um, he wait now he does. No, no, his, his well, no, he lived on Broom and he lived five five or six doors down from the house I grew up in. Okay, good deal. His wife, his wife, Mrs. Miller, also a saint, used to uh, let me sneak into uh, school a little bit late when I showed up because she uh, was working in the library there and they had an extra door. I think the statute of limitations is. Yeah, I think uh, I, I think that's that. you're, I think you're that's in the clear. Out. Great lady, great people altogether. I believe it. Well, when I was uh, in his homeroom, uh, our class, our homeroom class, uh, ended up at the end of the day in a three-way tie for first place among all the homerooms. So to settle this, they had a water balloon race in front of the entire school. So they had us all line up, each each class line up, and you had to like, you know, take this water balloon, run 30 yards down the football field, run around a cone come back, hand it off to the next person, and whichever class got through all the people first would win. Well, one of the three classes, they drop the water balloon, they bring the water balloon breaks almost immediately, they're out. So it's down to us and one other class, and we're way ahead. We had lapped them at this point, and I was one of the last kids to go. Oh. And I, so this is, remember, in front of about three or 400 kids, you know, literally the I entire school. I get the guy, I get the balloon. I go running down to the other end. I go to make the turn around the cone and my feet go right out from under me. And I'm like fully laid out watching And this felt like it was happening in slow motion. Uh, as I'm crashing to the ground, I watch the water balloon in front of me and I'm trying to like cradle it. The thing explodes. I get drenched. We lose, and that's how field day ends in front of God and everybody at school. Um, tough scene for your for your boy. Not gonna lie. Um, so I I will always remember that. And then a couple of weeks after that, we get our yearbooks, and I'm having like other kids in class and some of the teachers sign my yearbook. And Mr. Miller, I will never forget this. Sign my yearbook. <laughs> Uh, Tom, I hope you had a uh, have a great summer. Uh, it was a pleasure having you in class this year. And remember, spiked athletic shoes are not that expensive, Mr. Miller. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh. it still stinks to this day. But... It does, it does. So yeah, as I was like walking around, running around a a soggy corner of my yard yesterday, uh, uh, the trauma was coming back to me. There. It was, it was so <laughs> You're having PTSD over there in your <laughs> in your little 
suburb development. That's right. I can imagine. <laughs> look like it looked like your daughter out out uh, beat you though. So well she done, Cassidy. These things might be else. related. <laughs> not, not yeah, not too uh, not too unrelated events. <laughs> oh, that's funny, man. I I I hadn't even that's that's something I hadn't even really thought about. Like field day used to be so much fun, and I don't know when it stopped like did it stop in middle school i think so i i I don't even remember like i remember now remembering how funny it was but it's like it's not an event that i look back on often and like i i I remember how great field day was but yeah yeah i'm glad they were able to figure out a way to do it so how did they like did they keep scores did they do anything or did everyone just get like hey good job i mean i mean it was obviously different. Um, one thing I will say that was really cool. So they came up with the gym teachers came up with like 15 events, I want to say, and you didn't have to do all of them. You could do as many as you wanted. Um, but what they did was they got some of the high school kids involved with recording videos, demonstrating how to participate in the events. So like there was a, I think, uh, you know, softball toss. They had somebody from the varsity softball team, uh, doing an instructional video. All right, here's here you here you go, kids. This is how you'll uh, do this event. You know, somebody from the uh, I'm trying to think like the football team. There was somebody from basketball. A lot of the other uh, high school kids got involved with recording these for the elementary school, which was really nice, and and they were really into it, and that was fun. Um, so you know, there was a score sheet you could keep track of, but I mean, it was really we were all playing fast and loose with the rules on these things. Um, you know, there was like a uh, um, I'm trying to think what was the one event we did the uh, the paper airplane cornhole game so a couple weeks ago in art class the kids made paper airplanes and then got to de- decorate them and turn those in as an art project when the you know the art teacher said hold on to these you're going to need them for field day so we did um, paper airplane cornhole where we got a laundry basket set up in the driveway and then they were like throwing the the paper airplanes across the driveway um, to uh, you know if you hit the basket it's one point if you throw it in uh, it's two points, stuff like that. Um, you know, softball toss, things like that. And you know, we didn't really keep score, but if you completed some events, you could get uh, a certificate printed out from the gym teachers, and uh, it was basically just an excuse to, you know, get out there and, and have fun. I was I was kind of bummed out in that you know we didn't get to do the real field day at the school um, when they were doing like the parent signups uh, for all the events through the year back in September. That was like the first thing I signed up for was to like volunteer to help out with that. But, uh, you know, it was still cool to get to do this and, uh, you know, make the best of it. She had uh, all the kids got, uh, you know, field day T-shirts and stuff like that. So, I mean, all things considered, it was still pretty fun. Yeah, it sounds like it. Glad they figured out something to do at least. Um, yeah. I don't know. It'll be something that they remember, I think, not just another day doing Zoom classes and all that other crap that I know kids are doing now. Yeah. Yep. So, um, you know, now we go into the have summer. We t- have we touched? Have we touched on the? Sorry, I'm completely switching gears here. No, go ahead. Have we touched on the? Have we touched on the end of the last dance? No, no, because the last time we did a podcast was the like day after the first two episodes aired, and I don't think even outside of the podcast, I don't think we talked about it much. No, not really. Um, are are we too late on that? Does anyone care anymore? Hey, you know what? If anybody is still listening to us at this point, after I've shared my war stories from field day, then, uh, you know, I, I'm sure they'll stick around and <laughs> listen to some last dance hot Fair takes. Enough. Fair enough. So so what did you think of the end of it? 
I think and it, it, it seems to be coming out, and I think I expressed this to you early on and, and repeatedly throughout it. it. It seems more and more like it's how Michael Jordan wants that to be remembered, not how anything actually happened. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that became more clear as it unfolded. And you've seen some interviews. I think it was like Horace Grant, I think, especially came out and said that, you know, this was not portrayed, <laughs> you know, mirroring yeah, reality. Yeah. This, wasn't, this so, wasn't accurate, right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and if then... you're looking at that as being like a, a pure documentary and a, you know, accurate history lesson, then, yeah, it's probably not what you want. But if you want to just look at some old, NBA footage from the nineties and here's some fun stories. Uh, you know, it was super entertaining that way. As long as you're not taking it as gospel, I, it was fine. Yeah, I think that's about right. I think the one thing that I thought was kind of interesting at the end was when everybody else is like, no, this wasn't going to happen again. Like we, we just kind of ran its course. Jordan's like, I could have talked everybody into it. I'm like, I, I don't know if you were talking Scottie Pippen into taking, continuing to take like a $10 million haircut while you're making 30 million a year um, to win more rings. Like, I don't think, I don't think that's happening. I also, I also kind of got the feeling that Phil Jackson was kind of exhausted with it at that point. And he was, he was ready to take some time off and step away and didn't want to just keep doing the same thing. And obviously he, he fell into the, uh, into the Lakers gig a year later, but right. Like, well, uh, everyone Krause like had a, crushes Jared Krause, but I feel like he, that was probably going to end either way. Yeah. He had an unpublished memoir that there have been some sections being uh, finally put out publicly in the last few weeks. It's, <laughs> I mean, he's no longer with us, so it's going to kind of be the only rebuttal to any of this you're going to get. But I think like after the last episode ended, uh, there was one where he talked extensively about, the mechanics of why it was not going to be feasible to bring that team back uh, as it was constructed. Um, so then the way he explained it, I think made some sense, but uh, yeah, I mean, everybody's going to have their own feelings on that. I was, uh, uh, you know, I, obviously this was about the last dance with the bulls and, and it's all based around that season, but you know, it was kind of at least a little surprising that, you know, if you watch that not knowing any Michael Jordan history, you'd have no clue that he ended up playing three seasons for the Wizards. Yeah, they they completely left that out of there. Um, they also didn't talk it. And I get that, that, generally speaking, the documentary was supposed to be about the last season of that Bulls dynasty, but they spent a solid 70% of that talking about other things. So it's not yeah. like they were, you know, like they were against branching out in any other any other time period at all. But they also haven't talked at all, and this I think is definitely a Jordan call um, about his failures as a owner, right, or as an executive. Like he's obviously not been good at that, and that's that's part of his legacy at all. So you can tell me that the the documentary isn't supposed to be like a testament to Michael Jordan, but it pretty much was in in every other way. So um, I don't know. It's it, it, I, I, maybe I went into it a little too cynical and a little like a little negative um, when I should have just sort of 
watched it for what it was and not necessarily taken what it's trying to tell me as gospel and just enjoyed the show. But yeah, um, that's, that's kind of my attitude about it was like, if these are the terms that we had to agree to, to get all these cool stories and behind the scenes footage, if I'm willing to accept it for what it was and acknowledge what it's not. All right. I'll, I'll roll with that. It's frustrating if you get people who are, you know, taking that as an accurate depiction of all events. Um, I don't think you can have a good faith discussion about Michael Jordan's legacy um, in that context, but I mean, it is what it is. And uh, I, you know, given the lack of other content on right now for us to enjoy, I'm, I'm glad that came out when it did. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was, it was, it was much needed to, to sort of, you know, give us something to do with ourselves. Um, but yeah, I think so much of it early on, I feel like the response was very much like, oh man, look at how Jerry Krause was, was awful, evil guy. And Jordan was so cool and all this stuff and blah, blah, blah. And later I think people started to realize, okay, this is kind of just how Jordan wants everything to be remembered. It's not, necess- yeah. not necessarily an accurate portrayal of what happened, but um, you know, it, it, but yeah, I'm with you. Given that there's nothing else new really coming out right now, it was nice to see something that maybe we hadn't seen before. And I'll say this, since you mentioned the ending of The Last Dance, that Pearl Jam song that they closed it on is awesome. And I, I'm i not a huge Pearl Jam fan. I mean, I like some of their stuff, but I was not, I'll admit, I was not familiar with that song, but um, perfect note to end that on. And uh, real good song. So um, I was glad to be introduced to that, if nothing yeah, else. Yeah, I will say that the music was fantastic yeah in throughout the whole thing so definitely all right bud what do you, what do you think you? well it's good to uh you know get out and uh, do one of these again i don't know how soon we'll uh run it back but uh hey you know it's, it's something <laughs> yeah yeah we'll take it shake off the rust a little bit that's right that's right we'll, uh, we'll see where the summer takes us here and uh you know Keep our fingers crossed we get some games here sooner than later and uh, figure out a way to uh, make it happen and uh, keep people safe and uh, do what we can. Call it a day. Sounds good. All right. Well, as a reminder that uh, whenever we uh, keep doing more of these, you can always subscribe to The Nail in the Coffin on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We're on uh, Google Podcasts. Where else are we? Uh, Stitcher, the TuneIn app. And, uh, oh, yeah, of course, stream us on waitingfornextyear.com. That is going to do it for us for this episode. For Travis Uli, I'm Tom Valentino. It's been the nail in the coffin, and uh, we will talk to you again at some point. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.